What a magnificent morning. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Beautiful music this morning. Beautiful music last night, too. What a great, um, the Lord of the dance, I will not forget. Beautiful, beautiful music last night. There's so many things in this life that we don't know. We saw last week, we, we don't even know how to pray. As we must pray, we, we don't even know how. There's so many mysteries. I saw some years ago under the category mysteries, Omni Magazine readers submitted explanations for scientific mysteries in our world. Third place, third place went to the person who tried to explain why yawning is contagious. Here's his explanation. When I yawn, I'm trying to equalize the pressure in my eardrums, but when I do, it imbalances the pressure in other people's eardrums, so they have to yawn as well. Second place in the competition went to the person who submitted this. If an infinite number of rednecks driving an infinite number of pickups shot an infinite number of shotgun rounds at an infinite number of highway signs, wouldn't they eventually produce all the great works of literature in Braille? See, I don't know. I don't know, but it came in second place. I thought the grand prize winner was best. Um, This um, entrepreneurial... um, inventor said, when a cat is dropped, it always lands on its feet. When buttered toast is dropped, it always lands on the buttered side. So what if you strapped buttered toast to the backs of cats? (laughs) Wouldn't they just sort of hover off the ground? And couldn't you with that build a high-speed monorail all the way from Chicago to New York? I don't know. Maybe, maybe so. What do we do with the mysteries of life? There's so many contradictions. One person wrote in a, in a New York subway, life is one contradiction after another. And somebody responded, no, it's not. <laughs> well, the question that is posed to us by the difficult times and seeming contradictions in our lives is, do you love Jesus Christ enough to become like him? Would you open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 8? We've been here for, this is our fifth week, Romans 8, verses 28 to 30. We are in the Himalayas. We've not reached Everest yet, but we're in the Himalaya mountains of the Scriptures. We're we're in the high points of Scripture, and particularly this passage is helpful to us, not only for what it says, but also for what it doesn't say Would you stand with me as we think about coming to life for good? Romans 8, verse 28, Paul writes, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Would you pray with me? Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing 
in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, will you not revive us again so that your people may rejoice in you? Hear our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I love it when Paul talks about certainties because last week I left you with what we don't know. We don't know how to pray as we ought and so the Holy Spirit prays for us. Somebody said, exactly how does the Holy Spirit pray for us? Well, we need these verses. These verses, though they're separated by a a subtitle in, in my particular translation in Paul's letter, they were not separated. Paul says, we don't know how to pray, but the good news is the one who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit. So we don't know, but here's the good news. God knows. God knows our hearts. He knows what He wants for our lives. And He says the Holy Spirit not only intercedes for us with unutterable groans, so we can't hear what the Spirit is saying, but the Holy Spirit intercedes for us according to the will of of God. That is, God has an eternal purpose for our lives, and He is working that purpose out. So we don't know how to pray, but the Spirit knows what we need. And because the Spirit knows, He says, This is what we know that God is working, that God is working all things, that God is working all things together for good, for those who love God, for those who are called according to his purpose, he is saying from God's point of view, his perfect work in your life and my life is a done deal. He will accomplish ultimately what he intends to accomplish. Let me tell you what this text doesn't say. It doesn't say everything that happens to you is good because we know that's not true. He, He doesn't say this is really about karma If something bad happens to you, well, then something good will happen to sort of balance it out. No, that is far from a New Testament way of thinking. What he says is not some impersonal principle in in nature evens things out. What he says is a very personal force whose name is God, who sent his only son, Jesus Christ, who fills his children with his spirit so that we always know that we are his children, so that we know that we are not condemned. If the spirit of him who raised Christ from the dead lives in you, won't that spirit of God transform and conform us to the image of his son through the good and the bad events in our lives. I'll tell you how good our God is. He uses everything in our lives, every individual event as a building block to accomplish his eternal purpose. His good is to make us good like his son and he will stop at nothing to accomplish that God is not out to make us happy God is out to make us holy God is not out to make us comfortable he is out to make something out of us and this is what we know that the God who is good all the time is working in all things all the time for the good of making us good like his son now isn't that good It's good to know, it's good to trust, to believe this promise. Now notice what he says, if I can just sort of just unpack this for us this morning. He makes this great 
timeless promise that all of us have on a coffee cup or a plaque somewhere in our homes. God is working all things together for good. For whom, may I ask? Who are the people to whom he makes this promise? And somebody will say, well, everybody. Everybody gets this promise. No, that's not, that's not what Paul says, is it? He says this promise belongs to those two things who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, on the one hand, we know that God loves the whole world. But am I stepping out of bounds when I say this morning, the whole world doesn't necessarily love God? On the one hand, we know that that God loves us. And I love the way Paul starts this this letter to the Romans because there's a parallel in chapter 1, verse 7, with this verse, chapter 8, verse 28. And here's the parallel. He starts Romans 1, 7 by telling them who they are. And he says, you are loved by God and you are called to be saints. For those who were with us last Sunday night, if I could just be redundant for a moment and say, it's a wonderful thing to know that you are loved. I saw that coach for South Dakota State, the jackrabbit coach, who thought that a jackrabbit could almost devour a bear. It almost happened. But South Dakota State's coach, right before his players go out on the court, what's he going to say to them? I need to hear because I coach a sixth grade girls team and we didn't do so well. I need to know. What does a great coach say to his players right before they go? Does he say, you know, pack that zone in tight? Or does he say, only take shots if you know that you can make them and your name is A.J. Walton? Only take shots. No, what does he say to those players? Here it is. He says, remember you are loved. Really? That's what he had to say to his team. Wouldn't you want to play for a coach like that? He says, remember you are loved. Paul says to the Romans, by the way, I'm writing to you because you are loved by God. And nobody can ever take that away from you. But in Romans 8, 28, he says, this promise belongs not just to those who are loved by God, but to those who have responded to God's love by loving him in kind. I remember the first time I wanted to tell Melanie I loved her. We were in the car. The windows were fogged up. It was just a a humid night. And we were (laughs) in my magnificent matador. I wrote on the window, ish liebe dich. I wasn't brave enough to say it in English. I grew up in Germany. I thought she would get the gist. She said, you like me? I said, well, it's like I like you, but very intensely. She said, "I I like you very intensely, too. Hoping she would catch the drift, I finally looked at her and I said, Melanie, Joe, Freeman, I love you. And she looked at me, no kidding, and said, I know. (laughs) Really? It was kind of anticlimactic, you know. She went up to her dorm, I went home, I went out to preach at my little church the next day, and when I came home that night, I had a big test the next day, and, and the phone was ringing when I walked into my apartment, this was before there were cell phones, and I walked in my apartment, the phone was ringing, she timed it perfectly, I picked it up, it was she, she said, come and, come and see me, I said, you know, I've got a test in history tomorrow, I really, really, really need to study, she said, but come and see me on your way to study, and I'm thinking, you know, history or Melanie, history or Melanie. I don't want Melanie to be history. So I go by and I, I meet with her and she tells me she loves me. And it was a great moment and uh, we've lived happily ever after. But if she had never told me she loved me, we couldn't have lived happily ever after. Love can't be one-sided. Chapter 1, verse 7, you are loved by God. Chapter 8, verse 28, you who love God. Can I ask you, Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ? You say, well, I'm in church. I didn't ask that. 
Do you love Jesus? You say, but my father's a pastor. Do you love Jesus? You say, but I, I go to church regularly. Do you love Jesus Christ? Because if you do, this promise is for you. And if you don't, you ought to address that promptly. He says, you who are called according to his purpose. Recent polls taken by Lifeway, 28% said, I'm not interested in a deeper purpose for my life. 18% said, we don't believe that God has a prevailing purpose for our lives. But Paul says, if you're called according to his purpose, he says in verse 27, the Spirit is interceding for you according to God's will, as if to say, God is up to something in our lives. God has called us. The theologians say this is an effectual call. That is, not just that God rang your number, but that you answered the phone. How many of you answer your house phone right when it rings anymore? How many of you look and see who, who's calling? Unknown number, forget about it, right? Um, that person that you don't want to talk to for two hours because you know the game's about to start. Forget about it till later. But what if you read on your cell phone when the phone rang, three letters, G-O-D. You taking that call? You answering his call? That's what Paul's saying. Because he's got a purpose for you. And it's not just going to take two hours of your life. It's going to take the rest of your life. And it's going to take the rest of your eternity. But it's going to be good. Will you answer his call when he calls? Because if you love God and you're called according to his purpose, he says, God's working. Here's the power. God is working all things together for good. He doesn't say everything that happens to you is good. I think what he says when he says all things is all things because not everything is good. I, I, just yesterday morning, I reached down. Right before I went to lift weights, I reached down to pick up some laundry and I did something to my back. I don't know what I did to it, but it's not good. I, I know it's not good because whenever I sit down, it hurts. I can stand, I can walk, but when I sit down, it really, really hurts. I said to Melanie, I told you I'm not supposed to pick up laundry. See what happens when I pick up laundry? Nothing good happens when I pick up laundry. I've heard the boys say that for years. It must be true. No, that wasn't good. But watch God work. I've said to you before, I, I wouldn't trade the five worst experiences of my life for the hundred best experiences of my life. Because it was in those times when things were at their worst that I couldn't even breathe without thinking about God. But those days when things are going really well, I sometimes, like the Israelites of old, put God on the back burner of my life. And I think wrongly, I've got this, God. I've got this. But remember the times when you knew you didn't have it and all you had was, you couldn't even hold on. All you had was he was holding on to you. Well, those are times, those experiences are not good. Don't misunderstand me. But hasn't God brought good out of those things. If you take any one of these pieces of, of, of beautiful stained glass by itself, it's just a sharp fragment of glass by itself. I saw them before they went in. I mean, I, I know what those are. But when the artist puts them together, I remember the first time I was walking out of VBS and I had never seen the stained glass from the outside when the light was on on the inside. You ought to see it sometime. It's amazing at nighttime. And I was just, I was walking out and I was walking to the car, carrying stuff for vacation Bible school, back to our car, and something 
brilliant and dazzling, caught my eye in my peripheral vision, and I stopped in the parking lot and turned, and I looked up and I saw that window, and all I could see was two hands holding the world on our Great Commission window, and it was beautiful. But that's just glass up there until the artist puts it together and light shines through it. God is working, this master artist, all things together for good. God is accomplishing something, working out his purpose. So maybe today's been a a, a bad day for you. I, I think about that, that guy who went to the airport and uh, he stopped at the little counter there and he said to the lady with his three pieces of baggage, which were 70 bucks a piece, he said, now, let's just think about this. I want you to send this one to Phoenix and this one to New York and this one to Washington, D.C. She said, sir, we can't do that. He said, why not? You did it last week. <laughs> well, you've had days like that. Murphy was an optimist when everything that could go wrong went wrong. But, but here, here's the truth. For those of us who love God, Cloyce loves this verse, love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. When you love God, look, look, if we knew what God knows, we would want what God wants. Our problem is we don't know. We don't even know how to pray. But the good news is he knows. And because he knows, we know he's working for good. No, this is not good, but oh God, bring something good out of this. And what is that good? Well, he describes it there with five things that God does. This is how we know it's God's power that's at work. It's God who foreknew us. It's God who predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. It's God who called us and justified us and glorified us. And just notice this, they're all in the past tense. And don't get wrapped around the axle on the foreknew as though God chose some to be saved and chose others not to be saved. The New Testament doesn't say that. Whenever, whenever it talks about predestined, it always writes about it from the perspective of the person who's already been saved looking back. So it'd be hard for us to speculate on what that, that means. It'd be hard for us to try to figure that out in terms of eternity for, for other people. What we can say is that those who are in Christ, he He foreknew us. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of God's Son. Nowhere in the Scripture does it say He chose some to be saved and chose others not to be saved. What it says is those who are in Christ are going to become like Christ. That's the predestination. You are going to become like Him. It's inevitable. You know people. I know people in this congregation. I I think... uh, I think one of our members, Sue, had a 90th birthday last week, I believe. And I just think, when I think of Sue, I think about how God is making her like Jesus Christ. When I look at some of you, I see a remarkable likeness to Christ. And I realize, look what God has done. Look how he's transforming us, how he's conforming us and shaping us to be like his son. And God foreknew, he knows what he's about, my Mentor, one of my mentors, um, Larry Nixon, years ago, he was some of your pastor years ago, he, he, used, he used to say when God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest heart, when God yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man or woman that all the world is amazed, watch his methods, watch his ways. How God hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay that only God understands. While his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands. How God uses 
whom he chooses. And with every act induces us to try his glory out. God knows what he's about. And what he's about is not just foreknowing us and predestining us, but he calls us and we answer and he justified us. That's past tense. And listen to this. He glorified us. You say, wait a minute. I would put that in the future. He's going to. No, he all. And from God's point of view, it's a done deal. If you are in Christ, nobody can ever take you, John 10, out of his hand. Not you, not me, not Satan at his worst can ever take you out of God's hand. The moment he justified you and you were made right with God, in his mind, he already saw you like the disciples saw Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, glorified. Not a diminishing glory like Moses coming down from the mountain, but an ever-increasing glory, Paul says to the Corinthians. Until finally, when we see him face to face, we will finally be whole. God is working for good. I read this week, Keith Manis tells about his wife's Aunt Gladys, who has an apple orchard. One day he goes there and it is more loaded with apples than he has ever seen before. The, the branches are virtually breaking. He says to Aunt Gladys, what happened? She said, remember last year we had the late frost. It froze all the blossoms, all the buds. But she said an amazing thing happens in an apple tree when a late frost happens. It builds these little nodules. They're called scions, S-C-I-O-N-S. And they wait. <laughs> They wait until the next year. And then those little bumps, those nodules that are just waiting and carrying all the energy, they explode in a riot of blossoms. And there is a great harvest of apples. And Keith Manis said, and I thought about the late frosts in my life and your life when, when there was a financial problem or we lost a job or lost a relationship or lost a loved one, and we wondered, will we ever bear fruit again? And then watch God work all things together for good. For those, this is you, isn't it, who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Well, what about Paul? Did it work out for him? We know he was a prisoner in Rome. He's, he's bound to a Roman soldier, but even the Praetorian guard, they begin to believe in Jesus because everywhere Paul was, he would say, I knew a man once, and he changed my life. And this man's name was Jesus. Do you know Jesus? You can envision him walking with the Praetorian guard as they're marching him to his execution. And he looks up at the guard and says, I knew a man once named Jesus. And he changed my life. And he can change your life as well. And then they put Paul to death. Nero was responsible for that, that great persecution. He took Paul's life. How can Paul say everything works out for good, for those who love God. Can I just ask you something? Have you noticed that people will name their dogs Nero? But they name their sons Paul and their daughters Paula. If your name is Nero, I am so sorry. <laughs> this doesn't work for you, but just stay with me. Paul knew what we must know, that we win in the end. That there are a lot of things in this life that we don't know, but we know this. God 
is working. What's the Holy Spirit praying for? For you to become like Jesus. And His prayer will be answered in your life and mine. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for Your amazing love. Thank You for forgiving us of all of our sins. That there's no condemnation for us who are in Christ Jesus. Lord, help us today to realize what You're doing. And because we know You, Lord, to trust You for the things that we don't know. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.